0: You're listening to Cleveland First Baptist Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Rick Dill. For more information, please visit clevelandfirstbaptistchurch.com. Good morning. We're looking today at a very dry topic. So just whet your appetites for this sermon. Um... In our series on the church covenant, one section of that covenant deals with leadership. And I want us to talk about that today. Now, before we begin, though, let me just ask you to think for a moment. Uh, How many of you could, if you were asked to, think of one leader in a church that you have been in who has had an impact on your life Spiritually, if you could say yes, I can think of one or a dozen, maybe, would you just raise your hand? Look at that. You know, leadership is is a very important topic in the scripture. A few topics could be really more important for the life and vibrance and even survival of a church than the topic of leadership. And leadership is something that touches every single one of us. Every believer is also responsible for leading in some way because the church is ultimately responsible for leading itself under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. That's one of the topics that Barry discussed this morning in our joint Sunday School time. But let me just begin by asking a question. How how important do you think leadership is for the health of your church? What happens if a church has uncommitted, unspiritual, or just disinterested leaders? What happens to that church? What does it mean to lead anyway? What does that mean? Well, I want to give you a definition. That I found in Webster's Dictionary. Uh, Threefold. It means to guide on a way, especially by going in advance. Going out front. It means to direct on a course or in a direction. And it means to serve as a channel for something. Now... This sermon may have the longest introduction of any sermon I've ever written. But before we really get to the meat, I want us to think about those three things and how they apply to the leadership of a church. First of all, a leader of God's church must show the way by going in advance. You can't lead without being seen. I can't follow something that is not out there in front of me, like we looked at in the children's word. A leader is always called to stand up and be seen, to be an example of what God calls disciples to be. In the church covenant that we hope to adopt in a couple of weeks, faithfulness in participation in worship and communion and in business meetings and prayer and financial support, all of those things are being discussed. You know... We have a right to expect from anyone who has chosen to serve God's church that he be faithful in all of those things. But especially a leader must be an example in those things. A leader of God's church must give direction as well on a course of action. That is, he has to be leading in some direction. The leader has to know where he's going. One time I had a teacher who said, the problem with a a lot of churches is that they don't have a goal, you know, and and that's exactly what they reach. Let that sink in. A leader has to know what the goal is, uh, has to be able to visualize the target and help the church reach that. And a leader serves also as a channel for something. And and this is the one that uh, is the most uh, moving to me. That is especially telling to me. The leader in God's church is a channel. He is a channel through which God's spirit and power and presence reaches others. Now, let me say something else that's really very important here because I know that some of you may be sitting there and thinking, well, you know, I can take a quick nap. Um, you have a few more minutes because really I'm not a leader, so that doesn't apply to me. No, no. You are a leader if you are a believer, a follower of Christ. And I say that unashamedly. You have been called to follow somebody and you have also been called to lead others in the direction you are going. And you know what? You are leading somebody somewhere. You may be unaware of it because you've never taken time to think about it, but you are leading somebody somewhere. Let me make an example or give you an example to make a point. If you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus then you direct the people around you either to Jesus or to somebody or something else, one or the other. For example, if you have children, they will see your faithfulness in God's church and be led to be faithful themselves. Or they will be see your unfaithfulness and they will be led to be unfaithful. You are leading them either to Christ or Away from him. If they see you pray, they will be led to follow that example. If they see that you do not pray, they will also follow that example. I experienced that this week and talking with a family, and it's as I talked to mother and father, there were small ears in the next room, but those ears were constantly growing. Don't think that children are not following an example. As a professing Christian, you are, if you are faithful to Christ in, in how you, for example, talk at work, you'll be leading your colleagues in the direction of faith. If your language is as worldly as anything else and anybody else's, then you'll be leading your colleagues away from faith, away from a knowledge of Christ. So just know, as we go through these important points, if you are a true believer of Jesus, a follower of Christ, you are also a leader. You are leading somebody somewhere. In Sunday school, Barry led us in a discussion of God's call for the body of Christ, the whole church, to lead itself, to be the body that seeks to follow Christ in his will. to As a church, we have that responsibility. But although ultimately the church is responsible, God has always called out leaders through which he has given the church direction. When the first followers of Christ got together to replace Judas Iscariot, who had committed suicide after betraying Christ, uh, the apostles called the church as a whole together to make that decision. But they had in prayer and uh, seeking God's direction, they came with suggestions. They didn't just say, go at it. So today I want us to look at, at two things really related to leaders. First of all, what does, what does God give those he calls to lead? And secondly, how does God reward the leaders that he he uh, uses in his church. Well, let's look at them together. What what does God give to those whom He calls to serve as leaders? What does He what does He give them? Well, I think the very first thing you can say is that God gives them His presence. He gives them His presence. You know, before man fell to sin in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they lived every moment in the presence of God. They, they walked and they talked together like friends, um, man with his creator. Now sin changed all of that. And the greatest thing it changed above all else is it removed the possibility for man to live in the presence of God. But God was persistent because he desired that kind of relationship with his creation. And, and he wanted to restore that. And that's why you and I can look forward to heaven. Where we will do what? We will live in the presence of God. We're going to do a lot of things. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. And Although I would, I would like singing for a thousand years in the choir. But, you know, uh, some of you may not. You, you, will, you will be active, but you know, whatever you do in heaven, you will do in His presence. Now, that, that's going to mean a lot, and I, I probably shouldn't, I don't mean to get off on a tangent, but if you just think about it, we're told that in heaven there is no night, because He is the light. Now, I don't know if that really means exactly, you know, that's how literally that's to be taken. But, But figuratively, at least it means, you know, light penetrates everything. So to be in God's presence is to be completely penetrated by everything God is. Is that not just a fantastic thought? That is exactly what we have to look forward to. One of the interesting things we find in Scripture is that is this unending desire that God has to be present with his, his people. That's why they had a temple. That's what the whole sacrifices were about. But also when God called leaders, when he, what he uh, promised them is what? His presence. He called Moses to go and face the most powerful monarch on the planet and to defy him and to say, you're going to let those slaves go because they belong to my God. Now, understandably, Moses was not particularly enthusiastic about that assignment as this new leadership role was revealed to him. And he complained, just flat out refused to do what God called him to do. He was scared. And, I mean, would you have been any different? I don't think so. In Exodus 3, we read, But Moses said to God, What am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, well, Moses, what's the big deal? I, I mean, I'm going with you. It's not like I'm just sending you off to do it alone. He says, I'm going to be with you. Don't sweat it. When God calls you to lead in any respect, his first promise is to be with you. You don't do it alone. And this doesn't change in the New Testament. God's presence is perhaps experienced in a different way, but nonetheless, that is His great promise to us, to all of those He calls. As Jesus prepared to ascend to the Father after the resurrection, you know, He gives these, these 11 guys, He gives them their marching orders. And what does He say? He says, okay, pack your bags. Now you're going into all the world to tell all of the world the good news of the gospel. You know, and they didn't even have Twitter, you know. They just, you know, they they just couldn't type a text and send it out. So don't you think those 11 men thought, what? I, I just can't imagine they wouldn't have just been completely overwhelmed. We're not talking about go out in the county. The entire world, all people have to hear about me. They were definitely overwhelmed. And how does Jesus answer? He says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to be with you always. Don't sweat it. Right up to the end. Right up to the end. So God calls leaders and his greatest promise to them is his very presence. He will be with them. So that means if God has called you to follow him, one of the great promises he gives you is his presence In your life. Peter, when he preached the first sermon, he called his hearers to repentance and baptism and then said, And don't forget, he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. Whatever he sends you to do, he is with you. Let me ask you have you ever been faced personally with something, a a task of some kind that seemed completely overwhelming. A moment like that occurred for me the summer we were home on furlough preparing to go to East Germany. We were speaking one evening at a group of seniors in a church nearby and we were telling them about our call and what God we thought we were supposed to do and that we would be the first SBC missionaries to go in an area behind what was formerly the Iron Curtain. And we shared all of that. And there was an elderly gentleman in the in the group, and and he said, Brother Dill, Brother Dill, how in the world do you plant a church somewhere where all they've had is fascism and communism for over 70 years? Now, I don't think he realized how his question cut me to the quick because I, I just didn't know how to answer. The truth is I did not know how to do that. And our only comfort was that we were not going alone. And that was very clear to us. He had promised his presence and that was for the meantime enough. Second of all, God equips the leaders he calls. If he's called you to a task, he will equip you to do that task. This is the cool one, I think, because God is the equipper. He's the one who gives the gifts and abilities to do the things that he calls us to do. God never calls a leader without equipping him for the task. When Moses refused to lead, just flat out said, I can't do it. I'm not going. He did not hesitate to give God good reason. Moses says, he says, look, Lord, you're asking me to go to the most educated, most powerful, most frightening king in the world, one that just a few years back ran me out of town and tried to kill me. And I'm supposed to go and tell him something? No, 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 no. That's not how this works. This is not going to work at all. And then he says, and I think Moses is maybe using a little sarcasm here, which is a little strange, but he says, Pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. You get the picture here? Moses is talking to God, who is speaking to him from a bush that is on fire but not burning up, and he says, I don't do public speaking. I don't do it. Actually, I stutter. That's what this word actually means. Slow of speech means he stuttered. And then he says, strangely enough, he says, and I have always stuttered. And that really hasn't changed in the last 20 minutes we've been talking. I'm still stuttering, you know. He said, I'm not doing it. Logically, God Responds with a little force here, but listen to what he says. Moses, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I'll help you speak and will teach you what to say. I love it. God says, who do you think made your tongue slow? Just trust me, I will equip you for the task. 2,000 years later, when Paul was writing the little church in Ephesus, he is instructing them in how God works. And he says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He called people to equip his people for works of service So that the body of Christ may be built up. What's the point here? Paul says that Christ himself equips us for the task he calls us to do. He places people in our lives who equip us for the work he wants us to do. When God called me to be a pastor, there could not have been a person less equipped. I can empathize with Moses. But throughout the years, God has been faithful to send servants to equip me for whatever task he gave me. He sent Ralph Atkins and Finley Edge and Wayne Jones and Jack Nash and John Merritt and Gunta Visca and Herbert Teppan. And I can just go down a whole list of people. Every time, when I didn't know what to do, he put someone in my life to show me, to help me, to equip me. Let me say this, and do not forget it. You never have to fear not being able. What you have to fear is not being willing. That is the danger. And then God gives his leaders helpers. One of the cool things about being a leader in God's kingdom is that you rarely have to do it alone. God seems never to want us to be alone. He, he created us for companionship with Him. And then, above that, He wanted us to have companionship with each other. Leaders lead together. We're a team. Barry mentioned in Sunday school, the word elders is not one time used in the singular in reference to church. It is always plural. When God called Abraham, it was to bring him from... Uh, into a great nation where he would be a part of a people. Within the people of God, he used men and women who worked together. When Jesus came to spread the gospel, guess what? He established a team. We call it the church. Within the church, God calls leaders to build it up, the whole body in which we work and serve to glorify him together. There are no lone rangers in the Bible. We're in this together. When God called Moses, and Moses was so hesitant, we read this. But Moses said, pardon me, your servant, Lord, please send somebody else. (laughs) Moses just, he was just persistent. He did not intend to do this. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother? What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. And he's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help you both speak and will teach you what to do. So God says to Moses, who is saying, I'm not going. He says, you know, I've, you think I haven't thought this through? I've already got Aaron on the way. He is going to be, you know, your mouthpiece because you're just too chicken." to do what I'm telling you to do. In the same way, God calls leaders to build up his church, but they're called to do it together as a team. They equip his people for the works of service. So finally, the question, is it worth it? Is it really worth all the work and the heartache and the headache to follow God's call to lead In his kingdom, in whatever way he wants you to lead, is the reward worth the cost? What is the reward for leadership, for faithful leadership? Well, for one, your reward is God Himself, it is God Himself. Exodus 33 says the Lord would speak to Moses, and I love this, face to face as one speaks to a friend. Imagine that. Moses was called to sacrifice a great deal. And the task God gave him was certainly not easy. But it was worth it. God spoke to Moses as he spoke to a friend. Obviously, what Moses experienced was unique. Uh, No other person had that kind of relationship to God, but God does promise as we faithfully serve Him, we will also get to know Him. He promises relationship, and that is the greatest reward that we could possibly have. I love the passage where God is renewing the covenant with Abraham, who is really down and discouraged and he takes Abraham out of this tent and tells him to look up at the sky and you know he renews the covenant and all of that but then God says he says you know Abraham I am your very great reward your reward will not be the fa- being the father of a great nation your reward your great reward is me you get to know me And Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. That's amazing. Jesus calls you friend. Secondly, God rewards us by giving us maturity and faith, a mature faith. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, what? Mature. And get that last phrase, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Well, you need to think about that. Your reward is also that you mature in your faith and become more and more like Jesus. I'm not sure we recognize really how important that is, but that is the ultimate goal. John said that when Jesus returns, when we see him in the twinkling of an eye, what's going to happen? You will be made like him. That is God's ultimate purpose for your life is to be like Jesus. And that is the reward you will have for your faithfulness. And we also have an eternal reward. Don't lose sight of this, please. When you are thinking, I don't have time, I've done my part, or I'm too tired. Don't ever stop serving. Do what God calls you to do. Because it has a returnal an eternal reward. Jesus promised that those who do remain faithful will be rewarded when they see him. He told the story of the servants, faithful and unfaithful. And at the end we read, and the master will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You know what? You will be trusted with the Lord's work in eternity. You'll be put in charge of many things. I have absolutely no idea what that means. Uh, How that's going to look, who knows. But, But Jesus says your faithfulness here comes with a reward. You will share the eternal work of God's kingdom. And what else? And his happiness. It's going to be beyond anything you have ever known here. You will share the joy. You will have the very presence of the Lord. Well, we are all called to lead. All of us. A call to follow Jesus is simultaneously a call to lead others. So, let us commit ourselves to that task so that one day we will hear those words from our Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, Father, we just thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to lead Thank you for the privilege of being able to serve and uh, to show the way to others. Lord, we praise you for your plan. And sometimes it doesn't seem like the smartest thing, but we just trust you, Lord. We're often like Moses, and we just can't imagine being able to do anything for the kingdom of God. And yet you call us to do just that. And I thank you for that. Lord, I just praise you and ask you to move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Nancy just to play for a minute. And I want you to quietly reflect on your own life. I want you to be in conversation with God. And ask him... Where are you calling me? What is it you have for me to do? Because, you know, his call, it never stops. It's not like, you know, you retire from the kingdom. You don't do that. Just approach his throne and ask him to show you. You may want to come up and pray right here. You may want to just thank him for getting you through something so that you can live for him now. I don't know. But I think it'd just be good for us to have a time of reflection and prayer individually. If you feel God speaking to you, I'm going to be standing down here. I'd love to pray with you if you would like for me to do that. I'm not the one